Hey everybody, welcome to episode 49 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with Jimmy Duresta. Hello. And David Picciuto. Hello, you went back to the normal I did. routine. I'm just trying to throw you guys for loop every time, see if you're watching. I was hoping I would say hello, and you would say hello, and then... We tried that Bob before. Bob wouldn't. <laughs> Bob wouldn't participate. Bob, you gotta be the highest. You gotta go, hello. Bob, Man. is somebody getting murdered at that, your house? That's not my house. That's oh. the hallway of my New York City apartment house. I'm on the ground floor, and I apologize for that. Oh, so somebody is getting murdered. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, at least we I know threw an ice pick under the door. At least we know where it's happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> New York. New York City. Well, what's going on? What are, you, what are you guys up to? David, you've had a big house day today, right? Yeah. Uh, all week, there's been a basement waterproofing crew coming in and tearing up the concrete floor and putting a little trench in along, around the inside perimeter. And then a sub pump that goes out to the backyard. And a oh, big wow. Old... So in case you have a flood, it goes to the trench and then it gets sucked out? Yeah. Uh, well, the, what the trench does is it's uh, the, the basement walls are cinder block. And what happens is it, that's on a foundation and what water gets trapped in there and just stays in there and then, until eventually it seeps through the walls. So what they do is they, they dig a trench around the inside perimeter and then drill holes in the bottom uh, of, of the wall so when the water does get in there it has a place to go now and it goes right. in this little trench and then it's going to get pumped out to the backyard and then um, there's also a, a drain there so if it, the basement for whatever reason did flood it would then get to the sub pump and out to the backyard so uh, everything is in a huge huge pile right now and so uh, they, 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 after they dig, after they dig, they dig the, they dig the trench, waiting for that to cure. And then when that cures on Saturday or Sunday, then I'm repainting all the basement walls, possibly the basement floor next week. And then there's a storage room in the one corner of the basement where my shop is, and we're tearing that down. And I'm going to use that as shop space, and that's going to make my life so much easier. And so I started tearing that down today, and then on Tuesday. I am building walls where the music room is. Currently, there's just blankets hanging to try to keep dust from the workshop from going into the music room. Actually building walls, putting in a door, and then building another storage area on that side of the basement to put things. And we're just going to be more organized. My shop's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. It's going to be cleaner. So lots going on. So how much more square footage are you getting in your shop? Um, you do the math for me. It'll be about another eight foot by 10 foot. I will gain about 80 square and, feet. And, That's 80 feet. And, I'm really good with math. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I'll gain that, but more importantly, it's, it's, it's not just about shop space. It's about that location. Hmm. Um, it really opens up that area and allows me to have a better workflow or feng shui in my shop. And uh, yeah. Nice. But the only so the only thing left that's really kind of in the way, like there's a furnace and a water heater right in the middle of the shop. If that wasn't there, I would have all the room I would ever need. You were asking on Twitter, I think yesterday or today or something about building the walls. If you don't have one, which you probably don't because you don't have a need for one, you should rent a framing nailer, like a, a framing gun. It will okay. make putting a wall up like nothing at all. I have one that my um, my wife's stepfather used to be a, a contractor. When he's alive and he gave me one as a christmas present one time i was like huh i got a framing nailer for christmas but i've used hmm. that thing <laughs> so really. much yeah because yeah, yeah. it shoots like big three inch nails and you could put a wall up in 10 minutes i mean it's uh, nothing. yeah i currently have a um 
a, a nailer, but I think it's like one inches the max. So I'm assuming it's probably something I could rent from my local yeah. Home Depot or mm-hmm. whatever. Be able to. And then I don't know if I might have to rent some sort of drill because I don't know if my drill is powerful enough to drill in the concrete. Do you have a hammer drill? I do not have a hammer drill. Yeah, you could probably rent yeah, one of those too. Yeah. yeah, I've got one. You can drive down here and get it. Uh, I'll be over in uh, 14 hours. Yeah, just drill into the floor with a buy a Tapcon kit comes with the actual drills with the appropriate size that works with the with the actual screws, and then you just but you will need a hammer drill to drill into concrete. Okay. Um, I when I put my wall up in between my shop and my office now, I use these. Uh, oh gosh, I can't remember what they're called now, but it's like a an oversized nail that goes in and it has a, a regular nail sticking out of the top of it. So you drop this thing down in the hole and then you hammer in the nail and it expands the, you know, down in the okay. hole. Opens up. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like an anchor, yeah. but it's called, there's a specific name for the anchor type, mm-hmm. but um, they're really easy to use. So you just, but you need to drill the hole. That's the one thing. You right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But instead of using just a, a screw to run down into the concrete, to hold it in the hole, you use a, an anchor to expand inside the concrete hole. You know, another thing, too, just as a tip, now that we're on the subject of building walls, um, if you were building it in a basement and you could trap the wall between the floor and the ceiling, you can glue it and just put a couple nails in the rafters above. So if you glued it to the concrete and glued it to the wall and build it so that you could stand it up in there, like build it laying down, stand it up, and then with some wedges, wedge it in between the floor and the wall with some glue across the bottom sill. And then you won't even need to, like, tack it. I'm sure it'll be strong enough, ultimately. I, you know, I thought about, I thought about doing that and the, the basement guy that was here, I asked him like, can I just use liquid nails on the bottom and then just screw it into the rafters up top? And he's like, you probably could, but it's not recommended. Just, you know, you don't want it to move or if it gets kicked or somebody mm-hmm. falls into it. So, but do you, in your opinion, do you think that's strong enough? I, I think so. I mean, as long as you don't kidnap, you know, somebody that's trying to escape, I think you'll be right. <laughs> Yes, from that, that, was, that was my first thought. And I also, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, honestly, I think it would be fine. Just put some, you know, uh, a bunch of liquid nails on the floor, stand the, the wall up into it, and then uh-huh. secure your top. And once your top is secured in a level position, and then, you know, you could, that's certainly enough to get started. You could build the wall, and then before you completely close the wall, you can drill and put in the Tapcon or the, or the thing that Bob described. Oh, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? You can at least idea. start building. Don't let that be the thing that keeps you from building. Yeah. You yeah. know, once you ultimately get where you need to, you could certainly just, all, all it is is just to keep the bottom of the floor from skidding out. And like I said, if you can wedge it and then glue it and then screw it at the top, you know, wood into wood, you, you should be fine. Yeah, that's but, that's a brilliant idea. I've also wondered about, um, thank you. I see, I've, I've been watching YouTube videos on it, and sometimes the basement floor will move. Uh, you know, like a half inch throughout the year, and I don't want it. Um, do you have any experience with with like if I wedge a wall in between the floor and the and the joist? You won't even notice the deflection. Your house is constantly flexing and moving around. You would never notice that. Okay. You you wouldn't notice that type of deflection unless you've seen that in your other walls. You know, if you've yeah. seen cracking and stuff. I mean, that results. Um, yeah, that no, results in cracks in and around, like stress. I usually see it in, in corners, like where like when they tape in a corner, and then you see like the tape kind of twist a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's just typical house settling. I mean, in, in my opinion, someone's yeah. going to write in and scream at me for saying that. <laughs> no, I think it is. I mean, that's going to get our one house. star on iTunes for saying that. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Thanks. But, yeah. So that's funny. I haven't done. I used to frame houses with my dad when when I was in 
in art school. That was what I did to pay pay for art school, and it was a lot of fun. We uh, one one fun job we had to do is we had to frame a whole house within like a twenty four hour period before the building inspector came back to town. So we worked all weekend. We built this whole house. We framed this whole entire house over two days. Me and a crew. And uh, that was fun. We had to like, and there was the the guy who was building it was a lawyer. It was his house, and he knew all the loopholes. And he basically said, like, once the house is up, they can't make you take it down because they wouldn't give him a permit to build it. So we built the whole house without a permit in two days, and then somehow he was able to like get it through the system. <laughs> he was like a shady lawyer that knew some kind of backwards way of getting it done. But that was fun. Wow. <laughs> Two-story house. It was, it was kind of small, but it was a two-story house with like a stairwell and closets and everything. And we framed the whole thing and then started sheeting it. But we obviously didn't finish the entire house, but we got 90% of the frame up in two days. That's crazy. Cool. That was a big education working with a couple of real experienced framers on those couple of days. That so was what, fun. What are you working on these days? I just finished my kitchen knife. I was asked by Make Magazine. They're doing an ep- uh they're doing a, a, a issue, I was going to say episode, they're doing an issue on kitchen tools. And they asked me if I would make a kitchen knife. And so I made a, I made a kitchen knife and, and it came out really good. I was really, I'm really happy with it. And uh, that video is up for my patrons, but it's going to be on Make Magazine next uh, Tuesday, I think. And uh, I just got the rest of my molding materials from Smoothcast to finish up my chess pieces that, that I got stalled on that because I, I ran out of materials. It's funny when you have like a chain reaction of things that go wrong. I had my flood, you know, my basement situation, which everybody who wrote to me, thank you very much for the concern. Everything's sorted out. I didn't, it's make magazine. I didn't know they were going to do this. When I skipped my week, they wrote said Jimmy's absent from class today because he had a flood in his basement. I didn't know they were going to do that. So I got a lot of nice emails, people just concerned and, uh, Everything's fine. I just like if you come to my shop, you'll notice the bottom of almost all my materials has like a a dirty swell mark on it because all the material that leans on the floor gets like flooded eventually with two inches of water. So every piece of wood I pick up, the bottom half, the bottom two and a half inches is stained. Gross. With like dirty sewage water. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> so yeah. No, I get I, my shop floods every every two months, like about once every two months is sort of the cycle, and so that happens. And then uh, then my Vespa won't start, so I can't scoot down to Tribeca to pick up my materials. So my my chess piece video got stalled. That's my make it forward project. And uh, I'm going to get back on track tonight. And then this week, I have, this next three days, I have six students in from a design school in Mexico City with their teacher who I met over the summer who asked me if he could bring his students. I said yes. So Dave's going to make a video of that. And so that's going to be fun. I'm going to teach them, kind of like I'm going to do kind of my college course truncated for them. In a couple in a couple of days, so we're going to work today. Actually, late tonight, uh, tomorrow, all day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm going to work with these Mexican design kids. And I met a couple of them today; they're really cool, and uh, so that should be fun. Hmm. And uh, my ice pick video is out with Dave, so that's been super fun. Me and Dave got into this thing a hundred uses for the ice pick, and we just started goofing around and being stupid. And we had a lot of fun with it. And it was, it was really Dave's idea to put it out there to everybody saying, what can you do with your ice pick? And um, so, yeah. So, Pachuto, your ice pick's on the way. And, Bob, I'm going to send yours out in the next couple of days. Nice. Yes. So, you guys both have ice picks on the way. Sweet. Thank you. That video is awesome, by the way. 
Isn't it fun? Dave really did a great job with it. That was, I mean, a lot of people think I did it. No, I try to make it clear. Dave made that video, and he wanted it on my channel so that uh, he could get some more followers. So, and we're gonna we're already working on part two. We have the whole scene from Goodfellas all planned out. We have that written, and it's fun because all day long, all we do is just brainstorm <laughs> scenes that we're gonna do. We have a couple of really funny scenes planned out, and um, we have a, a scene. Where I'll, I'll tip, I'll tip the hand just to give you guys a preview of us writing. We have a guy sitting at the computer because you know everybody always jokes at us about trolls. So we have a troll sitting at the computer, and he's typing and he's saying mean things. And we walk up and we give him a lobotomy through his eyeball with the ice pick, and then hmm. we walk away. And then <laughs> you guys both just winced, but then he starts saying nice things. <laughs> huh. well, Maybe I won't do that. Yeah, one. I'm sorry. I got, a, I got a groan yeah. from the audience. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned uh, you're, you're taking a scene from Goodfellas. Yeah, I've always wanted to steal the Goodfellas scene where um, the the helicopter's following him around. He's in the grocery store and he's in his, in his car and he's paranoid and he's looking at the the helicopter following him around. I always thought that would make a great music video of like hmm. my band's music playing in the background and it's me like worried about this helicopter following me around and then i get busted at the end for rocking too hard for rocking too hard this, I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs> a small world a small world story is that that whole scenario takes place like within a mile of the house i grew up at oh nice hmm. apparently the real story takes place right in that whole vicinity and so does the scene that they shot they shot it all like oh. right in the area where i grew up henry hill so, yeah he grew up right in my area Henry, I never knew him. I was too young. I was a very young gangster. <laughs> I hadn't crossed paths yet. No, so, uh, so, oh, and then I have another real interesting, uh, I shot a video for Lagavulin. Uh, it's kind of a cross promotion with Nick Offerman. So they, Nick is, they, Nick, by now, they'll, will, will, these videos will probably be out, but um, at the, at this moment that this is airing, but um, Nick does this thing with like a bunker. It's going to be out maybe, I think Tuesday this week or tomorrow. Well, today's Wednesday. It's going to be out today or tomorrow where Nick is hiding from his family in a closet. And he says, you know, this is my holiday bunker. And he kind of gives you tips on how to make a holiday bunker. And the joke is he's really just hiding in a closet. And uh, so I actually made a whole holiday bunker closet in my video. And it's like a cross promotion for, for his stuff with Lagavulin, my tails of whiskey. And uh, so that should be fun. That's coming out this week. I'm tweaking it. It's it's difficult when you make a video that has a lot of people involved in it because everybody keeps saying, oh, can we do that? I'm like, there's no opportunity mm -hmm. to reshoot that. It's all gone. It's all packed up. It's gone. And I'm like, can we change that glass that's in that last scene? I said, nope. <laughs> it's all packed up. So that's the only, that's been a little bit difficult. Uh, when I worked at the ad agency, the clients that were the worst were the ones where there was a team of like 10 people reviewing the creative the where everybody feels like to do their part, they need to mm -hmm. have a change or a response. The The best clients were when it was like one person did, did the approval. Yeah. 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 So actually, just before we got started, I, I think I got I just got my last approval on one thing. So I think I'm ready to go. And uh, it's just me building a room, basically. And it's funny, uh, you know, when you make videos, I ultimately I, I was I just kept cutting more and more out of it. Now it's like three and a half minutes long. It started at seven minutes, and it was kind of boring to me. But then I realized I never make videos of me building cabinets and stuff. And that's why that was the one thing about the video that I didn't like because I was just building plain, simple. And there was nothing special about them. They're just kind of shelves and cabinets and just 
and there was really nothing super special about him. But then again, like like David Welders looked at it, and we always critique each other's work, and he looked at it, and he goes, they just want to see their logo. They don't really want to see all this stuff. And I was like, I guess you're right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, I, I cut out a lot of the process, but or sped it up considerably. And so I think we got something that everybody likes. And uh, But I'm really proud of my knife video, and that'll be up uh, probably a couple days after this airs. So that's a cool one. So that's cool. it. Just working on that. And um, yeah, looking forward to hanging out with the students from Mexico City. It's going to be fun. So. Awesome. And uh, Bob, did you want to introduce the topic? Well, let me tell you about what I was working on this week. Um, so I put up. Oh, we can cut that out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so for me this week, I was doing. I put up my um, Death Star video, which was the one I talked about last week, where it was yeah. just like. I just I wasn't really motivated about it because it's very simple, you know. Um, so I talked about that a little bit last week about not feeling, you know, motivated and not really knowing what to do with it or if there should be a thing. And uh, I just needed to get it done, <clears throat> get you know, move on from it. So I put it up today, and the response has been really good to it. In fact, somebody left a comment that said, you know, I heard you talking about it on the podcast last week and you weren't excited about it and you didn't know if there was going to be a thing that people could take away from it. And this guy, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he took away something from it. Like, oh, he said, just the fact that you poured the paint directly onto the wood and rolled it out rather than wasting a tray. He was like, I wouldn't have thought to do that in the moment. So don't oh, yeah. worry about it. I got something out of it. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, that's cool. You know, so I guess that spoke to me a little bit in that even if, if we don't, if we do things on a regular basis and they become kind of mundane or, you know, trivial to us, somebody who may be seeing one of those tiny little things for the first time may take something away from it. So I'm going to try to keep that in mind that even if I think something is simple and repetitive and not too ingenious, it can still be helpful, you know, somewhere. Um, yeah, for sure. Don't overthink and, it. Yeah. But my tendency know. is to always try to overthink it and try to, Add a little thing. Add a little thing, you know. So there's no Ard- – I'm watching the video now. There's no Arduino in this video? No, no. You, he, you mentioned that at the end, I think, I, right? Yeah. I said I know a lot of people are going to expect me to do like a big Arduino-based light thing because I think that's what everybody thought I was going to do. And I would love to, but like I said in the video, that's just – it's a lot of time and I don't have time and, you know, so – what, what I'm watching the video now. You want to hear something stupid? Sure. I, I, I saw the uh, when the thing came through my email, I saw the, the little icon of the video, and I thought you actually put a big hat on the thing. <laughs> and I'm watching the video now <laughs> of the whole profile and everything. isn't. So I thought you actually made the Death Star and then put a big floppy hat on it. <laughs> so that illusion worked for me. Oh, and I was, so I thought you were just going to cut a circle now. And then make a big wool hat and stick the wool hat on it. <laughs> That's funny. There was a funny moment on Twitter a few days ago. Somebody asked Jimmy, what, can you sum up the whole Star Wars saga? And your response was? <laughs> I said, a guy in a black hat gets mad at space. <laughs> <laughs> Which was beautiful. <laughs> fantastic. And I hit send before I wanted to add more to it, but I guess that was good enough. No, that was perfect. I mean, that would yeah. be a killer movie poster. If it said that on the bottom of it, it would be so great. By the way, Bob, I know we talked about this last week and you didn't know the answer. Is there, if, if uh, uh, what is his name? <laughs> the black hat? Darth Vader. Darth? Darth Vader. I know his name. I'm just, I'm blanking on it. Of course, I know Darth Vader. Uh-huh. Um if Darth Vader gets elected out of office, does the next guy get to wear his clothes? No, we talked about this. He's the only one with that costume. That's his costume. 
Oh, oh, okay. So nobody else gets to wear those clothes. Nobody inherits Wait, his clothes. Is it a costume or is it a uniform? <laughs> it's a costume. Oh. I mean, a uniform <laughs> is like what... I, I would expect like an army uniform is what the army wears, right? Everybody hmm. in the army wears the th- uniform. Right. Uh, so maybe costume is the wrong word. Maybe it's just... Outfit? Can outfit? we go with outfit? It's, oh, it's his get-up. The royal get-up. <laughs> the royal... There we go. The I like that. get-up. <laughs> no, I, I, it's just a stupid question. I was always wondering that. Yeah. You know, as a kid, I'm like, because there's got to be lots of Stormtrooper costumes. They, they never show the Stormtrooper tailor, the guy that's like fits those guys. <laughs> that guy must be like all the time the with like crazy glue and vacuum form machines and like, oh my God. And there's like a guy, job. you got to lose. Yeah. You got to lose weight before we can hire you. You know, <laughs> you never see like an out of, out of shape. Stormtrooper. They're all like That's they're true. all probably like 140 pounds. I mean, if you want me to nerd out over this, I can tell you why that is. But why is that? Tell me. Well, originally they were clones of the same person, so all the troopers were the same person. Oh no way! Yeah. So that made it easy for the guy that makes the costumes, right? Because they all had the same like genetic Uniforms makeup rather. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. I never knew that. What? What? How did you know that? What episode did that appear in? Uh, episode one, two, and three. <laughs> No, no, that mean that they explained that they were clones. And episodes, well, I guess episode two and three. Oh, wow. Right, that's pretty bizarre. I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway, let's not talk about Star Wars anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like such Sorry. a nerd. So, um, for <laughs> me, after the, I put up the Death Star video, and then I started on a metalworking project for this week, for next week. Hmm. Um, I saw you got a new uh, chop saw. Yeah, so I got tired of cutting uh, steel with the cutoff wheel, which it works, but I always feel like I'm just... You know, like I wanted to do miter corners, and I just feel like I probably couldn't do that well enough with um, a cutoff wheel. So I noticed that Harbor Freight had a sale and a 20% off coupon. So I got a 14-inch cutoff saw for 80-something dollars with tax. Yep. So pretty cheap. I mean, I figured, you know, it's worth a shot. So I used it yesterday, and I was going to kind of give everybody a wrap-up, because some people were asking about, like, how it went and if it was worthwhile and stuff. So the things I found out with it, um, I got some abrasive wheels, um, because the getting, like, a blade to cut with it, they were, like, way more expensive than the machine, like a good $50 more expensive than the machine. You're talking about, like, a, the metal-cutting metal blades? Yeah, like a carbide blade. Yeah. Those things work amazing, by the way. I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah, you get beautiful, clean cuts. I mean, of course, you got to really suit up because the shards are very dangerous. Yeah. You should wear like a full face mask. Yeah. So I didn't want to go that route yet. I mean, I may do that one of these days, but I figured it was a cheap machine. Maybe that wouldn't be worthwhile. So I got these cutoff discs, which are like six bucks. Um, And so it, it actually cuts pretty well. And cutting perpendicular to the piece, I got some pretty good cuts. But then what I really needed was miters. So there's a clamp that push. So you put the the piece in, you set your miter gauge, put the piece in, and then you push this clamp, this like screw clamp, up to it, and it holds mm-hmm. it at that angle, so you can cut the thing. So the problem is that this screw clamp that pushes up into it has a has a hinge on the end of it, so it can adjust to the angle. But that makes it so it slides on the workpiece at that angle mm-hmm. as well. So as soon as you start pushing, putting pressure down with the saw onto the workpiece, it flexes against this bendable little thing on the clamp and so your angle doesn't stay at 45 degrees as soon as you start pushing down on the saw it changes yeah. to i guess uh i guess less than 45 so 
it was close enough and I was aware of what it was doing so I was trying to hold the workpiece with one hand push the saw down with the other hand and I got it to where once it was welded and ground down it, it was fine yeah you but, got a lot of opportunity with welding yeah but if somebody's going to buy that saw or something like that you know just be aware that it's not like it's not going to hold the piece exactly where you put it you're going to have to kind of work against the force of the machine which is considerable I mean um, so and you know a lot of people were like you should have gotten a, a bandsaw for it which I would love to do but I just didn't have room you know at all for yeah. something like that maybe someday but I bought those, the those... DeWalt one and I really wish I would have got a metal cutting bandsaw instead because mm. of the sparks just I take it outside and use it because it just sparks are go everywhere and oh yeah yeah the bandsaw that that's why I use like the the either the DeWalt or the Milwaukee bandsaw handheld bandsaw i mean and then also harbor freight makes one i don't own one of the harbor freight ones but i will soon i want to get one or two of them just to have different ones around different locations but um those handheld bandsaws are really good too you could just give yourself a nice line to follow and there's no sparks that's the main reason a lot of people always say how come you're using a bandsaw to cut this metal i said because it's nice and steady clean cut Hmm. you do have to kind of hold it in the air but if you were to get one that's on like a chopping angle type of thing they're expensive but you can always find good used ones on craigslist yeah, somebody said that in a comment that those are something that you can find pretty often on Craigslist, mm-hmm. and I didn't think to look beforehand because I, I, you know, I saw this thing being a good deal, and I needed yeah. to actually get cutting yesterday, so I just got it. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I made this metal project. Uh, it's some barnwood metal combo, and uh, it turned out pretty good. I'm happy with it. It'll be a different type of video than I've done in a little while, and so yeah, that's me. So, awesome. Well, we're, that's we're, our show. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was a long, what are, what are we doing, huh? Yeah. Um, so we got this email, and I'm just going to paraphrase here. Uh, this is from Sean Hogan, and he asked, if you guys could have a TV show and had total free reign on creative direction, ideas, and everything, what would you do? And then there was a second part of that email um, how, Jimmy, how would you do it different than you've done it in the past? Because you actually have had TV shows. So what are your guys' thoughts? Let's start off with um, some of the problems or what you didn't like about having a TV show, Jimmy. Uh, well, the, the biggest problem in hindsight is control. When I first got my first TV show, I thought, hey, these guys are in this business. They must know what they're doing. I'm going to let them handle everything. And then I've... We did a show called Trash to Cash, which was a lot of fun. We had a lot of creative freedom, and the crew was very fun. So that was that was actually not a bad, bad experience in hindsight. The only problem with that one is that we just did six episodes, and that was it. We weren't allowed to do any more. So we had like this really great summer camp in the summer of 2002 with a crew of new guys. We had a lot of fun. We bonded really well. We got to make these six episodes called Trash to Cash with John DeResta. My brother was the host, and I was kind of the, the on-camera maker guy, but I really wasn't featured. Well, I guess I was featured, but anyway, that's what led to a show called Hammered, where John and I were just making stuff together on camera. And then in Hammered, we did 28 episodes, so that's a lot more time for everyone's personality to come out. And you think you're saddled with a team of people because they're TV people, but you realize they're just people looking for a job, and it doesn't matter whether it's a show about making things or it's a show about getting married or if it's a show about buying shoes, they're on the show. And so in the subject of making things, I was... At the time, the most experienced person making things, but I wasn't allowed to make all the decisions about making things. So that was very frustrating. 
in hindsight. And, uh, you know, you, you let people set, dress the set and then you let people buy your clothes. And then you, my brother said, you know, I look like a six-year-old on photo day. I want to wear my own clothes. They're like, no, you can't. And my brother wanted to show his tattoos and they wouldn't let him. And uh, so stuff like that became frustrating. And then when you fast forward to, to another show we did, which, you know, in a big way, a show we did a show called uh, Dirty Money, where we buy, we find things on the street and sell them at a flea market. And we pitched that show originally as a like, hey, look, everybody, you could do this too. But the producer that sold the show for us, he represented us, a production company, he basically kind of lied to Discovery Channel and said, these guys do this for a business. So he came back to us and he says, I got good news and weird news. He says, what's the good news? The good news is they're very interested. The weird news is they think you really do this for a living. So you got to kind of play the game. <laughs> And so we went into it faking it and everybody was like, you know what? Just, just play along and, and then, you know, it'll, if the show's successful, no one's going to care that this really isn't your life. I'm like, all right. You know, we wanted to feature other aspects of our life, but they just kept focusing on that. Hmm. And, um, so it, it, in hindsight, the biggest thing is you have no control. You know, when we did, when we did Dirty Money, they, uh, they wouldn't let us pick the things out of the garbage we wanted to pick. They're like, no, this is the show's going to be about this thing today. I'm like, you guys bought a show that we came up with, but you're not letting us be in control. And so in my more recent conversations that I've had with people about television shows, and they happen often, more often now than in the last couple of years, I say, if I'm not executive producer, I'm not at all interested. And if I don't get paid a certain amount, I'm not at all interested. So the phone calls go from, hey, hey, what's going on? We have this idea. And I just say, this is my... This is these are prerequisites for you to be interested in me. If I'm not executive producer, I'm not interested, and if I'm not getting paid a certain amount, I'm not interested. And then usually the phone you hear like the cartoon break screech in the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't I don't even care because I, I started doing YouTube to develop my audience to go back to TV, but now I don't even want to go back to TV. And I mean that's pretty common. I've seen that a lot, but. Um, I recently had a conversation, and I'm going to open up to you guys. But I recently had a conversation with a TV producer. About, about a week ago, and I said to her, the one thing that you guys are doing is you're, you're dying on the vine because you're not paying attention to YouTube. And you, you think that people care about what your phony stories are and your stupid timelines and all this other phony stuff that you guys infuse into all these, these stories about making things. No one cares about any of that. They just want to watch stuff being made. And if you took more of an approach, like a YouTube concept, she said, and the woman said to me, I don't even remember what her name was or where she worked. She just said, hey, can we have a Skype call? And I said, sure. I mean, I figure if these people ever become important to me, I'll go back and look at their email. I'll, I'll search them in the email. But she said, now more than and more, the TV, the TV business is paying attention to YouTube because they're losing viewers to YouTube. I said, well, you know, if you wanted to do a show with me, you would have to somehow incorporate my channel or, you know, what I do on YouTube. It, it, actually, if you guys want to laugh, go read the description about my channel. I changed it a couple of weeks ago. In my about section, I kind of talk directly to TV people and ad people in there. So that you'll, you'll see my opinion of TV there. So I said to this woman, you got to incorporate more YouTube people. You know, I said, if you want to do a show with me, it would have to be about what I do and it would have to be about you know, the people I deal with on YouTube and I would get, you know, you guys and whoever else involved and it would all solely be just a, a, a ruse to get us more viewers and more subscribers and more views, you know, utilizing TV to work for us as opposed to the other way around. Hmm. That's interesting because it's always been the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, now I, it's like I have absolutely no, uh, there's no pull for me on TV <laughs> at all right now. I mean, I'm so in love with the community we have. I remember Steve Ramsey said it 
maybe Steve Ramsey said it on your brain pick, uh, Bob, like a couple of years ago or a year ago, where he said, you know, the community that's created on YouTube is so much more real and accessible than the community. There is no community when you do a TV show. You know, there's chat rooms. It's anonymous. It's like, you know, Reddit anger coming out left and right on these, these network chat rooms. And, uh, but with this, you know, it's like, it's, it's instant. It's, and, you know, you're not going to make, you're not going to make money on TV anyway. You know, they, they keep you down. And TV has this other thing where it's this first season syndrome. And I said it to the woman, I go, if you get a talented crew of guys and you know that they're going to be worth a lot of money in a few years, you just shut the TV show down because you just hire another first year round of guys and you can only, you know, they'll only be paid a certain amount because they're not proven entities. So like if they gave me and my brother John a couple more seasons on the show, they would know, you know, the natural progression of things. If you getting viewers, you get more money. They don't want to give you more money, so they just like say, "All right, let's cut this show short, and we'll just do another first two season show, and that'll be it." And then once that show gets successful, they have enough to syndicate it. They just say, well, "Let's do another new talent show." They don't care, hmm. so they kind of hold you down in that way. But with YouTube, we can keep making shows as long as we want. There's nobody's going to cancel our show except for us, and we can pivot those shows at any moment, which is that's huge. That doesn't happen. That we can do whatever we want. I could yeah. do a show about my pets, even if it upsets one person. I don't care. I could do an episode about my pets, you know, and then you guys could do whatever you want, as long as it pertains to, you know, your audience's interest. Do you think someone who's used to traditional media has a hard time getting over the production value of TV versus YouTube? No, I think I, what I think is it's content. I mean, how many funny videos have we watched? Like, you know, a cat playing the piano. It's content. I mean, we don't care that it's grainy and it's been copied 6,000 times. We like watching a cat play the piano. We like watching, you know, someone get attacked by a lion. You know, this is the stuff we enjoy watching and it doesn't matter. The content is attractive, fun and interesting and intriguing. You know, like, you know, these attack videos are intriguing and, you know, these police chase videos are intriguing. We watch it. We don't care that the, the, the content, I mean, the content is king. I, I've worked on TV shows where these guys take... They take like 45 minutes to set up a camera rig and, and I'll walk over and I'll say, why don't you just stretch wrap it to a stick? And they go, oh my God, that's such a great idea. But, you know, they're all <laughs> crowded around some like jib that they rented from some fancy place and you know, these ca- all these camera nerds and I, and I love these guys. I've, I, I bonded more with the cameraman than mostly anybody on any of these sets. They, they all drool over these jibs and these this and that. And I'm like, all you got to do is this and like, you know, you just put the camera on the end of a stick and do that. And they go, oh wow, that's a great, that's really cool. This is not even, I'm not even exaggerating. When we did, we did the show Hammered, any of the specialty shots, I used my DVX 100 because they were afraid to break their cameras. I said, I don't care. If it breaks, I'll buy a new one. So my camera had like hot glue on it, tape, stretch wrap to everything. So they're like specialty shot tomorrow, Jim, make sure you bring your camera in. My own personal camera. (laughs) Because they didn't have the guts and GoPros weren't out yet. They didn't have the guts to do the things that I did with my camera with with the cameras that they rented for the show. So I would, I would like hot, literally hot glue my camera to the end of a two by four and hold it up underneath when we did like a, you know, like a moving shot with the jigsaw or whatever it was. I mean, a lot of these things got used very quickly, so I can't even remember what they were, but I would bring my own camera in because mm-hmm. they didn't want to drop their cameras. So I, I think the, the content is king. It doesn't matter how it is. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's low quality, if it's good, it's good. Yeah. I mean, I think you can even see that within YouTube, like take TV totally out of the equation. There are some channels that are supremely well-made and they're you know you can tell they have a lot of gear a lot of people working on them but they're just not interesting (laughs) yeah you know like when i watch like for instance like i watch a lot of like you know 
um, you know, controversial stuff in this channel, Young Turks always comes up. I can't stand why, like, I just want to jump to the action. They sit there, they have these conversations like they're on some talk show, and they're not as interesting as they think they are. I just want to see the action. I just want to see, you know, if they have, like, a political conversation about it, keep it quick and interesting. They, they go on and on like it's, you know, Fox Channel 5 News. And they have desks and cameras and moving jibs and stuff. And it's, it's like, I don't care about any of that. I just want to see, like, you know, what the news story is. Yeah. So. So, Bob, unlimited budget, total creative control. What's your TV show? Um, I stole this idea from Jimmy. So, I'm going to say your idea. Which I think may, you may have borrowed from someone else in the past. So, at one point, I was actually talking to a network about doing this show. They came to me and asked, asked me to host a science show. I did a screen test thing for them. And they took it to the network and they said... We actually want him, not for the science show, we want him to develop his own show, and then we'll do a show, just whatever he wants, whatever. Or we'll start there. So I went back and came up with an idea based on something Jimmy had said, a few versions of this idea, and we took it back to the network, and they said basically it's just like, we can't put any new shows on right now. And this was a year, year and a half ago. But the idea that I stole from Jimmy was that I go to other people's shops who are really good in some particular skill that I don't have, and I learn from them for part of the show, and then mm-hmm. I either make something there with them or I bring that skill back to my shop and make mm-hmm. something. And so that was an idea that you had at some point along the lines that you told us about. Yeah. I was um, actually going to – me and Nick Offerman pitched that show idea. Yeah. And uh, you know the networks would not give us more than a pilot, and me and Nick both didn't have the time to deal with a pilot. I mean, I knew Nick has no time at all. So when they said, we'll give you a pilot for that episode, we both said, yeah, forget it. Because it just didn't believe in like giving us a full order. Yeah. But what happened with your with your audition process, Bob? Um, so, I mean, they liked the idea, but they weren't, at that point, weren't able to take on any new shows or something. I don't know. And it's just kind of, it stalled. And then I kind of stopped checking in on it. And since then, you know, kind of like you, I've had a lot of, Emails from different production houses asking about this and that, and Discovery has a new show. We're looking for a host and whatever. But I, I just really have no motivation at all to do that. I would, I would rather save up my own money, hire people here to film. I mean, it's exactly what you're saying about control. I would rather spend my own money, even mm-hmm. if it took two years to get that money, to have something made exactly the way I wanted it to be made and put it out in a place where I had full control over it and. You know, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to to me. And I could do that same idea, you know, that we talked about there. I mean, I would have to have money to travel to these places and film it and stuff. But mm-hmm. that's- And Anthony Bourdain is doing that now. I, I happen to see, like, on a, I was, like, in an airport or something. I saw Anthony Bourdain, like, visiting a knife maker. Hmm. And, like, then in the same episode, he visited, like, a pottery maker or something. I was kind of, like, watching it out of the corner of my eye. But I'm like, there's that idea, you know, yeah. where you got a guy, like, going and visiting and people that are making things. I mean, maybe he was just doing things pertaining to food. I, I don't know. I didn't. I don't have a TV now. I could simply research it, but I just wasn't that interested. It's but, on YouTube. The, the show is uh, on YouTube as well. Is it about yeah. make? You mean that it's idea? It's about making it? stuff. Yeah, it's just about craft crafters and craftsmanship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When when Nick and I were pitching a show around a couple of years ago, and I told some friends secretly like this was happening, it didn't happen, and it didn't happen because we decided we didn't want to deal with these people. And I just turned to Nick after all the meetings. I said, you know what, we can just do this on our own if the time ever allows. You know, Nick knows so many production companies, we could just get a production company and do it. 
but you know he's got so many other more pressing pressing issues that he wants you know, he wants to do theater and stuff and that's totally fine because at the same time I'm still doing my show you know my show in quotes whatever you want to call my YouTube channel and I'm totally content developing my audience and, and you know doing interesting things and doing the things to make magazine that I can't imagine like stopping down what me and David doing like for instance Dave and I just did that ice pick video the other day if there was a production company involved in that that would take that would take weeks to put together what we put together in three days. I mean, we literally like wrote a scenario of that hand grenade thing where like we throw the ice pick into the hand grenade. <laughs> we wrote that in five minutes. Now, some people might say, yeah, it seems like you wrote it in five minutes. But we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And, you know, the whole thing is very tongue in cheek. We're not trying to really sell ice picks. We're just trying to show some funny stuff. And various, the spontaneity that we all have with our YouTube channels is something that doesn't exist in, in TV. They're, they're too afraid of it. That, that everything has to be, and then there's too many people, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, there's too many opinions that have to be met, and then the whole entire, on a production, there's some personalities. The entire time you're trying to please people's personalities and trying to avoid fights and avoid arguments, and you know that's that's just the, playing the game of politics, and that's what's killing the TV industry. When we went into this, when we went into this, all these production meetings, Nick and I, well, well these they were just pitch meetings. Nick's agents said to me, don't bring up YouTube because they don't want to hear it. Hmm. I said, you got to be kidding me. Like, how could they not, you know, the water's up to their nose. How could they not know they're about to drown? <laughs> you know, get with the program or, or die. You know, and, and that being said, these channels are very successful still. It's not like we're killing them. But just the, the younger generation that's coming up is just not going to turn the TV on as much as they used to. And it's going to happen less and less and less. And that's, that's my opinion. From what I understand, the reason why some of them are successful is because the only reason that some of these cable channels are still around is because they're sold as a package with 50 other cable channels. Right. Like, so if, if users had a choice of just picking and choosing which channels they wanted in their cable package, many of these channels wouldn't even be around anymore. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of weird why they're even successful. Right. Because they're just getting bundled in with a bunch of other crap. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of a funny joke. I forget. I, I think I, f- I forget. Maybe Whitney Cummings said it, or, or Sarah Silverman. They said Fox TV is uh, the ratings are still very high, and that's because all the old people that watch died with their TV on. <laughs> so all these old dead Republicans are watching, and the TV is still stuck on. <laughs> I, that's not a good setup to the joke, but you understand the, the concept of the joke is that. You know, the audience is so old that they're dead in front of the TV and it's stuck on Fox News. <laughs> so. so, David, what about you? What's your TV idea? So, my idea is I'm always about inspiration and creativity. So, I, my thought is you take two people who are really skilled in their craft. So, maybe like an architect and, mm, I don't know, uh, a sculptor. And then... You put them in a room, and then you have them design something together, and That's then build a great idea. together. Where maybe I'm part of that, maybe I'm, you know, they're where all three of us are kind of working as a team. And I've se- you've seen some of this in reality shows, but this is not that tone. This is it's like mashup. Cal- yeah, yeah. This is a calm. Like there's no there's no drama. You don't like there's everything gets completed at the end, and everything is always a, 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 harmonious. Harmonious, yeah. 
And so, and then the next episode is woodworker, metalworker, artist, and, and this and that. And so every episode is this, this new thing where you get to see the creative process and how two minds can work together and build something. That's a great idea. It's probably yeah. going to get stolen the minute the show gets back. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good idea to do like a mashup of disciplines. It's just such a smart idea. Yeah. It's a really good idea. Let's start a production company. <laughs> Make it happen. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, need, I need somebody to uh, fund me a whole bunch of money. And, uh, we'll Jimmy can do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I got to pay my mortgage first. But, <laughs> I have been talking to somebody. Uh, you know, I don't know if this changes the subject, but I've been talking to a couple people that want to invest in what I do and, and how I do it. And, you know, we're not sure how to do that. And uh, one idea has been floated around is that if I was, if I was given money, you know, this, we're all just, this is all just like, hypothetical conversations which could potentially lead to something but one of the conversations we had hypothetically was hey if you were given enough money to start other channels and you were given help like a small production team to do those channels and if you wanted to either be hosting them or just you know directing the content in them what would you do and you know the idea would be to collect concepts just like like that for instance david and you know if the guys i'm working with were willing you know i could say hey Let's let's make this channel. Instead of trying to sell a show idea, the idea is let's sell a channel idea. And it doesn't cost anything to make episode one. It's just a couple of, ep- you know, it's just some people's time. It's like, hey, let's get this one and this one. You know, Dave, you're the host. Go for it. Make a thing. And then, we, you know, we schedule time and we shoot it. And we keep it loosey-goosey and we shoot a 10 or 15-minute episode. That's it. And there's no drama and it's all about content and entertaining people while they learn. It's not about... It's not about Jersey Housewives fighting and trying to get a perfume line. It's about, you know, it's about learning new ideas and new ways of thinking and new things to be made and how to make them. And so that's that's something that's, uh, you know, it's, it's just a hypothetical conversation I'm having right now with some guys. And uh, so I don't know where that's going to lead, but that would be like a perfect example. I, you know, pay for everyone's airline tickets to get to the right location, pay a couple cameramen, pay an editor. And, you know, we'd all be in charge of the content. Hmm. No net, no network executives with some ulterior motives. I was actually given, and if she's listening to this, I'm sorry, but we were given an executive producer to the show Dirty Money because she was a successful producer on a storm show. She knew how to film hurricanes and tornadoes. So she was successful in that field, so they gave it to us. Is that a, a comment about the type of person you are or what was the, <laughs> I have no idea. It's because somebody knew somebody that was successful at one thing. And they're like, Oh, she's good at that. She must be good at learning how to work with guys that, you know, spit on the floor and make stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and needless to say, she did not fit in at all. Is that what she your, just, your business card says? I spit on the look, floor and make stuff. No, no, but I'm saying, you know, she was, this, she was, she did the discovery should have put her on another show about hurricanes and tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they gave her to us because, you know, somebody knew somebody and said, hey, she's, she ran that show good. Let's give it to these guys. And she knew nothing. I, I, I probably said this. She came the first day to the set. We were making the, the lamp, bullet lamp episode. And she's like, can we shoot this out of a cannon or something? I was like, no, it's a lamp. We're not going to shoot it. She's like, can we like have an exciting explosion at the end of the episode? It sounds like a complete parody joke. I swear to God she said that. She looked at David Welder and said, do you think we can shoot this out of a cannon? Can we get a cannon to shoot this? I go, that's a lamp. We're going to sell it to flea market. I'm not going to shoot it. <laughs> wow. That's not even, I'm not, it sounds like I'm making that up. That's not made up. That's crazy. Complete disconnect. 
So the point I'm making is if, you know, if we were in charge of content, we would be able to, you know, it would be about making stuff. But I'm not going to start a, you know, a channel about, you know, making tires or, or you know, that's a bad example. I'm not going to start a channel about making salads. I don't know anything about making salads. Make stuff, make objects. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I think maybe we probably don't have time for it today, but at some point it would be interesting to talk about kind of, you know, if you're looking ahead to what your channel or network or whatever could become, it'd be interesting for us all to talk about kind of our end game, our goals, as far as what, where we want to take our channels, our businesses, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it could just be that we stay creating content and that's it. Or it could be something like you're talking about. We're expanding it out into a bigger thing. Well, I, I, I honestly have thought about this and I think I'm always going to still be able to just whip up a kitchen knife or, you know, whatever these smaller objects that I'm making. And if I had a bigger shop, I would certainly like have longer term videos like, you know, making a motorcycle or whatever it is. But I'm certainly always going to, uh, you just reminded me of something. I, I pitched a TV show a couple of years ago, like second or third year into my, my YouTube channel. And we made a pilot. I didn't really like the vibe of the pilot. It was, it was about me and my brothers. It wasn't good. And well, we all didn't like it. But the producer of the episode, we was about to sell it maybe to maybe History 2 was going to maybe buy it. That's why we made the pilot. They paid for it. And uh, the the producer said to me, he goes, so um, I said something about my YouTube channel. He goes, well, you're not going to keep doing YouTube, are you, if they pick the show up? I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to keep doing my YouTube channel. I said, that's like my, that's my thing. He's like, why would you need to keep doing YouTube if you end up on, you know, the History Channel 2? I'm like, oh, History Channel 2. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know what channel it's on. It's like, the sequel to the History Channel. Yeah. You're going to end up on History Channel 2? Oh, I'm going to drop my YouTube right away. I'm like, History Channel 2 doesn't, you know, their website doesn't get as many hits as, as my YouTube channel. At the Isn't time. the sequel to History the present? Hmm. <laughs> so, the point I made is yes. like, here's a producer that... And and still, it's funny, you know, uh, I have a, the producer, I still talk to a couple of producers from my pre, my past shows and, and they're always like, oh, how's that little YouTube thing working out for you? And I, that's exactly, it's what, it's like when you go back to high school and you talk to your teachers and they don't, you know, they totally don't have respect for the career path you chose. And it's really when I talk to these producer friends of mine, they're like, oh, how's YouTube working out for you? And they like kind of pat me on the head and like tap my bottom as I walk away. I'm like... And last time I spoke to one of them, he, he had, you know, he's having a hard time getting work. I was like, why don't you just start a YouTube channel and give in? And uh, <laughs> he laughed at me because he knows I'm probably right. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Cool. Well, you guys got anything else on TV stuff? No. No? No. I keep getting calls. And like I spoke to that last woman, I was like, you know, the next TV show for me, if at all, is only going to be to serve my YouTube channel. So, you know, and, and, and my, my YouTube friends. When Nick and I pitched the show, we I talked about getting you know other YouTubers on and wanting to get other YouTubers, and that's when I talked to the agent privately, and he said, "Don't bring that up in the in the meetings. They don't want to hear that." Hmm. It's like that's a dirty crazy. word. Yeah, that's pretty so. wild. All right. Well, um, what are you guys watching? Anything cool? Anything new? Anything old? I found a cool channel, and I don't know how I found it. You know, you know how I found it. I'll tell you how I found it because Casey's. Casey's always on the uh, hoverboard, or at least he was for a while, Casey Neistat. So I watched one of his videos that included the hoverboard, maybe the one where he talked about like whether it's illegal in New York or not anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see them now everywhere. In New York City, they're everywhere. And so they declared them illegal because I guess they're, getting on, they're probably rolling over people's toes. And then in the sidebar, I noticed the video of a guy who cut one open. And the name of that channel is – give me a second. 
um, What's Inside is the name of the channel. And it's a father and son that cut things open. And they were given two of the hoverboards and they cut one open to see what's inside of it. And when I say they cut things open, they literally cut things open. They just like stick it in a saw and chop it open. And uh, very rarely do they seem to take things apart daintily. I've only watched a couple of their videos, but I'm looking at the... Uh, the, the little icons of their videos and they, they cut open a boosted board and they cut open a, a giant wasp nest and they cut open a bowling ball. They cut open a bowling pin. Hmm. They literally cut it open with like a saw. They like stick it under a saw and there's sparks flying and everything. I see they seem a little inexperienced in using power tools and, you know, they use them a little bit dangerously. But I mean, who am I to say that? But it's interesting, you know. It's, I remember as a kid, we tried to break open a bowling ball once. We threw it on the concrete so many times until like a big chip fell off it. But <laughs> that's just, the curiosity of a kid, you know, is to see what's inside something. I just kind of imagine the inside of a bowling ball looks like the inside of like a a gobstopper, where there's just like layers and layers of different colors. I know that's not they what's cut, in there, but they cut just... open a gobstopper on this ep- on one of these episodes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They cut open a golf ball, a gobstopper, a, a soccer ball, a golf ball. Nice. So, check it out. What's inside? I think it's a it's a cool channel. Cool. So for me, and I, we probably have picked his channel before. Maybe I have. Maybe somebody else has. And I, I know we at least talked about him. And that's Matthew Cremona. And I just want to bring it up again because I really like what Matt is doing with his channel. Uh, I mean, nowadays there's 400 people making woodworking videos and so it's really easy to get lost in the shuffle unless you find your your niche and what matthew is doing is different than everybody else's he's chopping down trees cutting them up drying them and then using them for furniture you know years yep. later like and that's that's really cool nobody else is doing that or if so he did a I, floor I he did like a whole floor in his house yeah that looked like so much work there's no way i would oh. ever <laughs> do that that was that was that was insane but i'd I'd like to point out too that he did that he did his own hardwood flooring while he had a pregnant wife and then a newborn and this is like an entire you know floor of his house or a huge room or something is he doing the woodworking and youtube thing for a living is that is is that true yes yeah and so he's found a way to to, i think he got laid off from his job maybe Mm -hmm. and you know when you're put in that situation you make things you make things happen and he's putting out awesome videos and i think you can buy some of these slabs from him but he's i just really love what he's doing yeah and he's a good dude like we've i think we've both hung out with him uh, a few times but yeah that's a good guy yep yep for sure cool um so mine is one that i actually thought of this because jimmy i thought you would like it i met a guy in atlanta named kressel anderson he's a really nice guy he has a, a relatively young channel called maker size and the reason I think you would like it is because he's making his own lathe from scratch. So, oh, no kidding. <clears throat> so the first video or two, he made a, um, a forge so he could melt aluminum. So he melts his own aluminum. Then he makes these forms for the different pieces of the lathe out of wood or out of whatever. And then he pours the aluminum parts. And so he's going through the – I think he's maybe three or four episodes in, but he's going through the process of making all the different parts of a small lathe, and it's crazy. It's, wow. it's cool. So I thought you'd like it. Um, but I had – I got to meet him in Atlanta and talk to he and his wife for a while, and so, yeah, go check out Kressel. Also a good guy. And actually, he did a video uh, a month or so ago about multi-way switching. 
which I didn't mm-hmm. think would be that interesting, but he did a really good job of explaining, you know, how to have like multiple switches on two different walls that control one socket and explained it how that works and where the electricity mm-hmm. goes and that's really useful for people. So yeah, that's that's not easy. No. <laughs> that's you think it's easy, but then all of a sudden, when you shine, I, I remember Dave and I worked that out of my house of state when we redid some walls, and it took. We kept trying, we kept getting it wrong, and then we finally figured it out. But we fit it. We figured it out by accident. Yeah. So he's got a good video explaining it. So be sure to check that out. Um, so yeah, before we go, I want to thank our patrons, everybody from Patreon, especially Luis Gonzalez, Jeremy White, Nicholas Gomez, and Chris Cop. Again, those Thank guys you. are our top supporters. and Thank you, guys, always. We're grateful very much for them. And um, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it and sign up there. That would be cool. Or you could just share the show around, leave us a iTunes rating, review, lots of ways that you can support the show. Um, yeah, so next episode is episode 50. Whoa. Crazy. Well, we got to celebrate. We Everybody should. bring in, like, food and stuff. Yeah, we'll eat <laughs> into the microphones. That'll be fantastic. I'll bring in the cake, you bring in the cups, and we'll order I'll bring pizza. chips. Chips will be really loud, so we'll, we'll do that. So we yeah, should think of something idea. interesting to do for 50. So if you have an idea <laughs> for 50, send it to us on Twitter, at Making It Podcast. Um, yeah, I guess that'll do it for this episode. We'll see you guys next week. Thank, Thank you. Thank you all very much. I still love you.